Welcome to Raven Debriefs. I'm your host, Andrea Palferman. While some of what you learned today about unjust mining laws might shock you, you'll also hear about a mighty coalition who've joined forces to overturn colonial systems that have been ransacking Indigenous territories since the gold rush. On this episode, we'll be talking to Indigenous leaders and interveners in Gikatla Nation's game-changing legal challenge to BC's Mineral Tenure Act. It may sound obscure, but going after how big mining in BC is regulated strikes at the heart of how land is used and the preferential treatment that industry has enjoyed ahead of Indigenous priorities since colonization. My name is Nis uh, Haiwas. That's uh, my eagle chieftain name. The English name is Matthew Hill, Matthew Stanley Hill. And uh, I come from Kitkatla. It's known as Githkatla, waters flowing through channels, islands, and rocks. Kitkatla Nation is located on an archipelago of islands on BC's north coast, due east from Haida Gwaii and just south of Alaska. In 2015, on Banks Island, a mining company abandoned 200 kilos of waste material in the streams of a salmon estuary when the company was forced to stop operating their yellow giant mine by order of the province of BC. It was only as a result of a whistleblowing employee that the Ministry of Energy and Mines inspected the site and found that the company had spilled toxic tailings into just about any body of water in the vicinity, poisoning a lake, a creek, a pond, and wetlands on the island. The company responded immediately by filing for bankruptcy. Banks Island Gold did nothing to remediate the site for five long years, allowing heavy metals to leach into salmon-bearing streams. When Gigatla learned that more prospectors were eyeing Banks Island for mineral exploitation, they drew the line. the Mineral Tenure Act, uh, we finally learned after a bad experience with Yellow Giant uh, Banks Island Gold, um, we learned that, that, that there's something missing. That Yellow Giant is my territory. We, we had that one disaster in our my territory, and then we had seven applicants. All of a sudden, there were seven applicants. and Most of Banks Island is quite sacred land. Uh, it's, it's a spiritual part of our spirituality, so we had big, grave concerns over that, and, and uh, so eventually we found out that yeah, the Minor Tenure Act is is the is the culprit, and we have to battle it, and and uh, we said yes, we'd be happy to take it on. Gikatla launched a legal challenge, arguing that BC's Mineral Tenure Act which currently allows anyone with $25 and a laptop to stake a mineral claim on Indigenous territories without even needing to inform the nation of their intention, is illegal. It violates BC's own Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act. DRIPA is the first piece of legislation in Canada to enforce the fact that Indigenous peoples have the right to free, prior and informed consent around the ways in which lands and waters are used in their territories. In December 2022, a group of NGOs, Indigenous nations, 
and First Nations political organizations successfully applied to intervene in Gikatla's legal challenge. One of those interveners is Gitanyao Hereditary Chiefs. My name is Tara Marsden. My Gitan name is Nachink, and I'm from Wilpkamakilt, and that's one of the four Wilp of the Ganeda clan, which is the frog clan in Gitanyao. And so my role with the chiefs in Gitanyao has been to look at natural resource development, especially um, lands and resources, and uh, to help support the chiefs make informed decisions. And the Mineral Tenure Act um, and the mineral tenures that have been staked in Gitanyao territory has been one of the biggest obstacles to seeing our self-government and self-determination realized. And so today we're really looking at how we can make changes to that act collectively with other First Nations and other interest groups, um, community, environmental groups, as well as industry itself who wants to see change. Some people in industry want to see change. In the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, there are a number of rights spelled out that are inherent. And so inherent means that you don't need to have the UN, the United Nations or Canada give you those rights. Those are, those are our rights as Gitanyao people. And we just need the governments, the state governments, to recognize them. So one of the fundamental rights in the UN Declaration is self-determination and free prior and informed consent. So what does that mean? That means that when there's something proposed in our territory, that we have a say. We get to review it, we get to understand it, study it, and then make a collective decision. And that's really what the UN Declaration did, was to move beyond the era where we were simply informed of things happening in our own territory. And so when we see a court case like this, and we see the Human Rights Commissioner of British Columbia intervening as well. That really gives you a sign that there is actually something quite wrong with the way the current system's working in terms of human rights protection. Another intervener in the case is Mining Watch Canada. My name is Jamie Neen. I am the National Program Co-Lead for Mining Watch Canada based in Ottawa. The problem that we're dealing with in the Mineral Tenure Act is free entry. And that is the idea that anyone can stake a mineral claim anywhere, that the government controls and disposes of all of those mineral rights anywhere. So, you know, it's restricted in urban areas, but basically anywhere else. And, you know, whether that's indigenous territories, whether that's within uh, municipal boundaries, doesn't really matter. And, I mean, uh, Bev Sellers made this Point, the First Nations women advocating responsible mining in 2017 when they staked Bill Bennett, the then mines minister's backyard. They were making the point that we can go, we can pay our $25, we can register a claim in, you know, in the minister's own backyard, just like anyone else is doing in her backyard, in Bev's backyard. It's creating an interest, a legal interest in the land. At some point, there needs to be permits and there needs to be consultation and, and so on. But you're, you've already undermined the idea of free prior informed consent by granting someone else an interest in that territory. And the province, the government, is now bound to defend that interest legally because they granted it. The legal basis for the gold rush is still in place because that's the free entry system. That says you go out and you stake a piece of land and you dig away and you see what you can get. 
that's you know so that's still there. So, you know the foundation of of the of the gold rush wasn't so much in the actual mining as it was in the services and finances in terms of where profits actually got made and fortunes got made. But you know again you know the impacts were were very real on the ground and they continue to be. And so the violation that happens with the Mineral Tenure Act is that it makes a decision for us about how that land's going to be used. And so in our case, uh, we have an area that is sensitive in terms of climate change and salmon, and we wanted to expand an existing protected area. And the mineral tenures that were staked over top of that area um, were used as a means for government to say, we can't protect this area because there's mining interests here. So when government looks at the entire landscape and says which areas should be protected and which areas shouldn't be, they've actually got their hands tied and their, their hands are tied because of their own laws. So the current regime um, not only impacts us, but it also impacts industry because they are given this false illusion that they can go wherever they want. And then they end up in these on the ground disputes and conflicts like the prosperity mines in the Chilcotin. You end up with these big conflicts because they didn't do that upfront consultation and consent. One of the reasons Gikatla's case is so powerful is that while corporations have held a ton of power simply because they hold permits under BC's free entry system, BC's DRIPA Act means legislators are obliged to honour Indigenous rights to free, prior and informed consent about projects, including mineral claims, in their territories. Gikala are holding government's feet to the fire, saying in effect that the Mineral Tenure Act violates the principles of BC's own legislation. The federal government has tried and, and insisted for a long time that, that it should really be free, prior informed consultation that the indigenous peoples did not have the right to consent to make a decision and they're still resisting that you know and, and i think the the province by its actions now is showing that it's leaning the same direction that it's it's talking about free prior informed consent but it's undermining each element of that you know not providing the information not providing it before something happens and and not providing the opportunity for a decision to be made by the nations Prior means before. So before anything happens, you get to find out what is being what is being planned and be sufficiently informed about what it is to make a good decision. On the one hand, you've got a commitment from the government in the declaration implementation plan. You've, it's in Minister Osborne's, the new minister's uh, mandate letter that the Mineral Tenure Act has to be changed, has to be fixed, has to be modernized, and at the same time they're defending against Kikatla in court. As Indigenous people, we're really getting used to this by now, which is also the sad part, is that um, it's, not, it's not even cynicism anymore, it's just really uh, understanding the nature of settler colonial governments. And this is not any different than what they've done in other cases where they have been on the political spectrum sort of um, showcasing photo ops and you know acting like reconciliation is their number one objective meanwhile arguing against us in court instead of coming together avoiding those costly litigation uh, efforts and working in a meaningful way 
you know, the, the industry always wants predictability and we've always said predictability is when you're in honest negotiations and you can make sure that things are on an even footing. So if you've got that in place and if you've got the kind of predictability of saying, okay, let's work this through like with land use planning, with, with indigenous and local governments to, to look at where mining should and shouldn't take place, then you have certainty. And then you have a base of understanding to build a good industry on. And that's not what we have. There's a lot of opportunities still for, uh, let's call them dinosaurs or bottom feeders or whatever you want to call them, but the, the ones who are willing to find willing partners in the community to, to manipulate and, and to make deals with and come up with a way in, you know, and undermine the indigenous governance structures. They can undermine the law and still make money. So that opportunity is there. And that's why it's important to get this in law and not just in best practices or guidelines or industry voluntary codes. Some people will behave well and others will not. And then that's why we need regulation. That's why the law has to be changed. So we deal with a lot of mining companies and some of them are from Australia. And some of the evidence that's gonna be brought forward in this case is about how Australia transitioned away from free entry. And so we have companies who are now coming to Canada and who have experience in dealing with free prior informed consent with indigenous peoples. And they're used to operating under those guidelines. And so there's really no, there's very little excuse. This is the first province to pass legislation on the UN declaration. So how the province handles this specific case is going to have ripple effects um, in Canada and internationally. Kikatla are in court starting April 3rd. Hereditary Chief Matthew Hill will be there, surrounded by allies and supported by the Raven community who are raising funds for this case so that this small nation doesn't have to draw on scarce community resources to stand up for what is just. Here's Hill talking about what the groundswell of support means to him. And the island I live on is Lach Klan, and it comes from the word Spachlansk. Spachlansk is to bind together, to unite as one, to uplift support and encourage each other. Spachlansk uh, is to lift together. When we came down, I was talking to one of our elders, elder ladies, and uh, she was talking about a heavy heart. And after meeting all the interveners, uh, um, she talked about the big load was, was gone. We were not alone. <laughs> and I shared the word. Why, you know, our, our foundation word is, is unity and and that's the way I felt too. I was emotional to, to see all the people that have common concerns, to, to meet the people. And, and it's a lot of the leadership that I used to work with years ago. I met some of them and, and they're in support of uh, what we're doing. And that was really encouraging. Like the word says, uplifting. <laughs> You can be part of changing mining, not just in Kikatla territory, but everywhere in BC. 
for the month of April 2023, donations to the Gikatla campaign are being tripled. Give now at raventrust.com. So we're hugely grateful to Kikatla for leading this once-in-a-generation push to topple old mining regimes and usher in a new era of rights-based, indigenous-led stewardship. Kikatla's case doesn't just tackle one project. If successful, it will influence every permit and every mine everywhere in BC. Thanks for listening to Raven Debriefs. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share. We're grateful to Farhan Umadali for producing interviews with Matthew, Tara, and Jamie. Thanks also to West Coast Environmental Law and Mining Watch Canada, and to all of our monthly donors and supporters at Raven who have stepped up to level the playing field for Indigenous nations in court.